Our lead pastor, Chris Page, is not with us this morning uh, due to uh, sickness in their children. So please keep them in your prayer for a swift recovery. Also, we have Pastor Randy also not with us today. So without, we got all the pastors out with a cold. And actually, I think the Randy actually has a flu. So also keep him and his family in your prayer. Now, this time of the year, we look back into the year to reflect and remember. Now, as I was watching some TV, I saw some advertisement on, of the program that was about to air that is making some tributes to those passed away, especially in the Hollywood. Uh, they are musicians, comedians, directors, and other entertainers that many enjoy watching throughout the years. It is not surprising that they honor these men and women and give honor to their work and impact their, they have made millions of lives. Whenever these entertainers pass, news outlets and medias are quick to jump on to say that these fascinating people have passed away. What you will not hear from these outlets is the men and women that also have passed, who made impact in the lives of millions, but in very different way. Not through the entertainment, but through the gospel of our Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, I'd like to begin by giving a tribute to Dr. R.C. Sproul. If you don't know him, he is one of the great Christian leaders of our time. And he went to be with the Lord on December 14th of this year. R.C. Sproul was a pastor and theologian ordained by the Presbyterian Church of America, but he has contributed to Reformed theology to the evangelical church as a whole. And people such as laymen to pastors and teachers have benefited so much from his doctrine, teaching of the doctrine, inerrancy, and different teachings. Now, contribution and differences he made to the church will be remembered by the church history from now until our Lord's return. Let me give you just a few tributes that I've seen on the, on the Twitter account, because everybody's making tribute these days through Twitter, so I stole a couple of them. <laughs> Dr. Owen Stretchen, systematic theology professor at the Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary said, rest in peace, R.C. Sproul, a giant of faith, a theologian of God's church, a man of wit, wisdom, and conviction. His book, Holiness, Turned Me Inside Out. And I do actually highly recommend that book. John Piper, as many of you know, is a founder of a teacher of Desiring God, said, I love R.C. Sproul. I am sure I owe him more than I can even recall. My reverence for the holiness of God and the truth of his word would not be the same without his influence. I will miss him. Now, my favorite quote of R.C. Sproul, and believe me, they are many. After the sermon, after today's teaching, I encourage you to look up R.C. Sproul's and all the teachings and preachings that he has made. Hours, I mean hundreds of hours that are available for you now. Um, thank God for the technology and availability of the word and the teaching and whatnot. So, you can actually look for those, and it's readily available for you. But for me, personally, uh, my favorite quote from R.C. Sproul is this. We are secure 
not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. May he rest in peace. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, please open your Bible to Gospel of John, chapter 11. And we will read, not entire chapter, but very close. Uh, if you haven't heard me before, I cannot just pick and choose a one verse here and there to share the sermon. I have to have the whole story. It just helps me better to communicate the gospel that way. If you don't have your Bible, I think the verse is going to be on the screen, so you can follow along. So, so let's read the Bible together. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, and saying, Lord, behold, him whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, before the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Then disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is come into the world. Verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. 
As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? Verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was there, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when he, when he whose head died, came out, bound hand and foot with grave cloth, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. We begin this life series with focusing on the concept of life by answering what the meaning of life is. We have attempted to give you some essential biblical perspective um, on the meaning of life, help you to grasp so that you may live with a proper Christian worldview and mission of God. Now, Before we get to today's text, I know we read quite a lot this morning, but we will get there in a a second. But before we do, I would like to begin with some fundamental understanding of death through the Christian theological context. Now, according to secular humanists and atheists, the meaning of death is merely the end of a physical life of a person. In their view, there is no afterlife, and the purpose of life is based on whatever individual can accomplish and do to maximize their potential by utilizing time and resources for the betterment of themselves. And since there is no afterlife, death is the end. But based on Christian theology, the meaning of life is closely related to death, but much more than secular humanist point of view. We find the meaning of life and death in the scripture and its definition is quite extensive and must be taken seriously due to the complexity of this topic and most importantly, determine our doctrine and belief. Theologians and scholars believe that there are three types of death according to the scripture. First, 
physical death, second, spiritual death, and third, eternal death. Now first, the physical death, this inevitable reality of life, that one day, every individual's life will end on earth. This is the same as the secular humanist point of view, but the difference is in the depth of understanding by answering the whys. Why is death inevitable reality? Is this supposed to be this way? Now, to answer this question, we must go to the first book of the Bible, the Genesis. In the creation account, we find that God creates heaven and earth and all the things of the world. His last creation is Adam, but unlike other creatures, man is created in the image of God. And he breathes life onto man, separating men from creatures. We are not mammals or primates, as the evolutionist would call. We are men, created in the image of God, separating ourselves from other creatures. Yes, it is that funny. So where does death come in the picture? Not until Satan, or deceiver, Bible calls, in the form of a serpent enters the scene. Ultimately, Adam and Eve will be deceived by Satan and believe in the lie that they will not die, contrary to what God said would happen if they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Most importantly, they disobey God by doing the very thing that they were not supposed to do. In Genesis 2.16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, every, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So through the want act of disobedience, or theologians would call it the original sin, has led to this inevitable reality of physical death. Genesis 3.19 says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Addition to the physical death, but that's not the end, right? There's another death that comes. The original sin has led to the spiritual death, which is the separation of the entire person from God. Sin has alienated us from God. Genesis 3.22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and the flaming sword which he turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. It is difficult to fully grasp the magnitude of the effect of sin 
on humanity. But it's clear the consequences of it. As Paul said in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Finally, the eternal death is extension and the finalization of the spiritual death. If you see on the slide behind me, you see very clearly you have a physical death and spiritual death ultimately leads to eternal death, separation from God. But is this the end? Not according to the scripture. That God has a solution. Restore the relationship between God and men, but also to deal with this critical issue of death. Now, you can't escape the natural decaying of the body. We are getting old, which ultimately leads to physical death. But God's redemptive plan of salvation can be seen in the life, death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is truly a good news. The spiritual rebirth that leads to eternity with him not only in heaven, but here on earth. What a great news that is for all of us. And this spiritual rebirth is explained in the earlier chapters of John, especially in the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. In John 3, in the interaction between Jesus and the Nicodemus, Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless born, one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be safe. So if you look at the next slide, you see inevitable physical death, but being born again on this earth by placing your faith in Christ means eternity with him in heaven, but also here on earth. So we literally, Jesus has brought heaven down here so that we may fellowship with him. That is the gospel. Now, it is within this premise of understanding of death and resurrection we approach today's text. That was just the introduction. Now let me get to the message. (laughs) 
Now, the main part of this story is taking place where? In Bethany. Bethany is located two miles away from the city of Jerusalem, the east, the slope of the Mount of Olives. I think last time when I was up here, actually preached on the same kind of story, the Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so it's kind of funny. I chose the same, same text again, almost, uh, but it's a different story. The before it was, you know, Martha was serving the crowd, and she always got mad, and you know, tell Mary what to do, and very pushy, whatnot. But if you want to hear that, you can hear that from the sermon from the previous time. But it occurs in the Bethany again. But now, majority of the story is not happening in the city itself, but outside of the city called Bethany. This event took place in the Jesus, when Jesus healed the blind man of the chapter 10 at the Feast of Dedication. Now, the Feast of Dedication, a lot of people don't know what this date is, but if I tell you the other name of it, you probably know what the Feast of Dedication is. Anybody want to guess? Going once, twice. It's Hanukkah, celebration of the light. So all the Jewish people that are celebrating Hanukkah is really ultimately celebrating the Feast of Dedication. Now, this is where the interaction between the Jews and Jesus got heated. So much so, they tried to stone Jesus. This is very important to understand. You understand what happened in Jerusalem of that moment, the stoning, to fully understand why disciples did not want to go back to Jerusalem. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. One thing that he did in the Gospel of John, there is some text that is hard saying of Jesus. That's what we call. And think that what he said to the Jews and the Pharisee and the scribes and whatnot, he says, me and my father are one. Now for us, praise God. Hallelujah. Good news. We already know that. But for the Jews in the first century Judea, that is called a blasphemy. Why? Because the Shema. Shema is the prayer, the Jewish people's prayer. You shall serve the Lord your God. There's only one God. In Jewish culture, there's only one God. So when you say the whole, when we say the Trinity, they say, that's blasphemy. There's a three gods that you serve. You don't serve the one God, you serve three gods. But they don't fully understand the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's explained all throughout the scripture, including the old. Many of the scriptures that Jesus quote are not in the New Testament, but it's in the old. The New Testament did not exist when Jesus was on earth. Let's get that out of the way. These are the recorded history of what Jesus had done, the gospel and the letters. But all the scripture that he quoted of who he was was from the Old Testament. Book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Psalms, all the scriptures that he quotes which more reason for us to study the Old Testament, I believe. I do not think we need to neglect the Old because it has so much for us. But the, what are other hard saying of Jesus? In the previous, the earlier chapter, after feeding of the 5,000, there was a groupies, that's what we call it. Groupies all around, hang around Jesus and said, Lord, what are you gonna show us next? When are you going to give us that 
unlimited buffet that you provided for us, the bread and fish, all you can eat buffet, Jesus gives you. But Jesus, knowing their heart, confronted their thinking to say, you don't follow me because of me. You follow because I gave you food. And he says, the heart saying, unless you eat my flesh, unless you drink my blood, you cannot be my disciples. That's a hard saying. And the scripture tells us that a lot of the disciples that have been following him left them. But the disciples, obviously, the 12 remained. You have the word of life, the Peter, beautiful word. So these are some of the hard saying of Jesus that actually occurred in chapter 10. Now finally, this chapter is closely connected to the previous chapter, but also following chapters. In that, the raising of Lazarus will be the motivating factor for Jesus' crucifixion. So he serves as a bridge between the previous, but also after what was about to happen. Now, when we think of this event, we say the raising of the dead will be what? Miracles. That's what we call it. It doesn't happen every day. We cannot go outside. God bless you. If you want to go and raise the dead, go all power to you. You have a power to do it. But if it doesn't happen, don't be mad at God. It might not be part of his plan. Also accepting the power of God, but also understanding the will of God goes hand in hand, if you understand what I mean. So this chapter serves as a sign. It's not just a miracle, but it's a sign. The miracle points to something, but what does this miracle point? And that we will discover through today's text. Now, today, see I spent all, the, all my time already, so they're gonna start punching me all those lights. You need to wind up. I divided into the five acts. There are five different interactions. There are actually more. There are five interactions, Jesus and the disciples, Jesus and Martha, Jesus and Mary, Jesus and Martha part two, and Jesus and the Father, but there are some other sub interaction between the Jesus and Jews, which I'm not going to be able to get to, but also there is another interaction, which is Jesus and the Lazarus, right? Jesus raised him from the dead. So that's another interaction, but I will not be able to cover, but hopefully in the future you will hear more about it. So let's go to the act number one Jesus and the disciples. Now, verse 11 4 is where Jesus actually set the premise. The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. You see, there is something that Jesus is trying to accomplish through these miracles that he is about to perform. What is it? The Son of God may be glorified through it. Wow, what a great time to go to Bethany then. Yes, you about, Jesus is about to perform this great miracle, but what is the reaction of the disciples? Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately you sought to stone you, and are you going there again? You see the music that's playing? Did disciples really care about Jesus so much that they did not want to go to Jerusalem? Eh, 
Verse 11, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Why do we bother to go to Jerusalem? However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. They always don't get it. Disciples have some issue have understanding Jesus too much. But we cannot blame them because many times we do the same. And Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sake that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. So they go. But let's be very clear, disciples did not want to go. Now, if you want to think about how this play a part, I mean, for me, I think this is very, very personal, meaning this is reality of what interaction people have. Think about it. Disciples, you ever see a children that does not want to go to the doctor? You see their reaction sometime? Like, no, I don't want to go. You hear that. You hear the same thing here. But rightfully so, they did not want to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because they don't want to get stoned. Because a couple of chapters ago, they almost got stoned. Nobody liked to get stoned. <laughs> okay? Whether you're protecting Jesus or not, that's whatever. You don't want to get stoned. Nobody likes to dodge stones when you're walking around the city. Okay? So this is the first scene. They dread, dread, dreadfully actually follow Jesus. Well, okay, I guess we got to go then. So they do go to Jerusalem, but it's not something they really wanted to do. So I always thought that, you know, it's, it's really the side of disciples. There are 12 of them, so I'm sure at least one of them that says, Man, I don't want to go. I don't want to get stoned today. Yeah? But I guess we got to go because he's our rabbi. <laughs> the act two, it is Jesus and Martha. Now, when Jesus start approaching the city, what happens? He hears that Jesus is coming, so she goes out to meet Jesus. But this is occur outside the city, and when that actually happens, it's really interesting, the interaction between the Martha and Jesus. Why? Because according to the scholars and theologians and all the smart people on this earth that study the scripture says, what Martha actually says in this interaction between Jesus and her is the, one of the most highest, most perfect things that you could say about Jesus. What did she say? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. Wow, what a faith. Woo! I would like to have that faith. Whatever you ask of God, God will give you. You, you. you hear the faith of Martha. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now Martha replies, not the reply that Jesus might be looking for. I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Theologically, that is perfect. Okay, we'll all rise. Okay, all of us in this room, if you have put your faith in Christ, you all rise on the last day. And Jesus said to her, what a great faith you have. Not really. I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha, his, her last saying, Yes, Lord. So quick to respond. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And if you are a student of the Bible, you know exactly where you actually hear this saying. There's another gentleman named Peter says the same thing in the Matthew 16. You are the Christ, Son of God, who is to come into the world. Only difference between the Peter and Martha is this. Peter, blessed are you, Peter, for the flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Difference between Peter's instance and Martha is there is no continuation. This beautiful saying of who Jesus is, Jesus doesn't reply. That ends the Acts 2. Now finally, and next, Jesus actually encountered Mary. Now Mary was told that Jesus was calling. The Martha actually told Jesus, sorry, Martha told Mary that Jesus was calling for her. Okay, if that's the case, we have to believe what the scripture says. But if you ask me, this is personal, Jesus' translation. I do not think Jesus called for her because the scripture does not say. It says Martha told Mary, but the scripture does not say Jesus told Martha to bring her sister. Something's missing there. Now, don't take my word for it. This is just my translation, okay? I don't want to get in trouble. Then Mary, when she came to where Jesus was, saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's it. So you might be wondering, why did Jesus respond to Mary differently than Martha? And we will see. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, and these are the mourners, they're professional mourners. There was a time there was that they hire people to actually mourn for the lost. They were mourning with her. When Jesus saw that, he groaned in the spirit. Very interesting. And was troubled. And said, where have you laid them? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. In the scripture, the shortest verse in the whole Bible, which is one of the most powerful verse in the whole New Testament, Jesus wept. What this reveals is the humanity of our Lord. He felt the pain. I don't know about you, but if you have a lost somebody in your family or friends, you know exactly the emotional and spiritual state that one can encounter. It feels as if 
part of your heart is being ripped out. And that's exactly what Jesus saw, but not only seeing the people weeping, but he felt it. And he loved Lazarus. So he felt the pain and emotional distress they were in. What a beautiful savior who sympathized with us. That when you feel the pain of losing someone, he sympathized with you. And let that comfort you. Because if not, I'll be the first one to tell you that I'll be in a huge mess. But because he sympathized with our weaknesses, because he sympathized with our emotions, then the Jews said, see how he loved them. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? Act four. Here it is. The stage is set. They're going to the tomb of Lazarus. Now, he's been dead for four days, guys. Not three days, not two days, not one day. Four days. We know he is dead. He is dead. Physically, it is finished for him. But Jesus going there to reveal something, and we'll find out what that is. Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. He was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who, said, who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. I don't think he was read that way. I believe it was something like this. Lord, by this time, Smell. Four days. Four days. I know you're a miracle worker and all, but my gosh, four days. Ugh. But what is the response of Jesus? Is he be gracious to her and say, oh, Martha. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Martha, Martha, what happened to you? Where is the, all the glorious, theologically, perfectly sound that you made in the previous verses? What happened? Is this the faith that Jesus was looking for from those who call upon his name? No. Jesus responds to Mary better than Martha. You can say all the right things in the world. You can be a Christian in this room. You can say all the right things about Jesus. Oh, Jesus saves me. Oh, he gave me salvation. I'm free. I'm eternally saved. I'm going to heaven for the rest of my life. I just live my life. You contradict by your actions. That faith is not, does not, impress our Lord. What impresses our Lord is our weakness. It is when we are weak, he show himself mighty and strong. And when we go to him brokenhearted, he heals. 
you can say all the right things, you miss God and completely miss God. And that's exactly what happened in this story that speaks to me so much. So many believers that encounter so many different phases in their belief and in their walk with the Lord. But when the push comes to shove, where is your faith? What do you truly believe? And finally, I'm going to start winding down here. Jesus and the Father. This is a glorious moment. This is not just, well, you know, Jesus start praying. He did it in the behalf of everyone. Who were all there? Mary, Lazarus, obviously he's not came out yet, but Martha. Disciples. We know that disciples is not just 12, but there are always groupies, whether you like it or not. Good rabbi always have a followers, believe me. But is that all? No, the mourners, the Jews. These were all there watching Jesus, and here he is. Stage is set. And what does he do? He look up to the heaven and say, Father. Again, he making that connected relationship between him and God. I thank you that you always hear me. I know that you always hear me. And then after he makes this pure prayer, and all the people are watching, and now by this time, everybody's looking where? At the tomb itself. And Jesus cries out, scripture tells us, Lazarus, come forth. I believe that there was silence, not even the wind. And you see Lazarus bounded with a clothes. I'm, I'm sure some people freaked out. Miracle has taken place in the presence of these people. But what's the end? Was it just the mere miracle that we experienced? No. You know, the key word of this story is believe. These people believed. They saw the resurrected Lazarus and say, I now believe. I know who you are, Jesus. You don't have to convince me anymore. I have seen them all. I believe you are the Christ. Essence of this story is this. Death is just a mere word to our Lord. Because in the later chapters, we will see that Jesus will ultimately conquer death. Now, recently we have suffered some loss in our family. Um, now, encountering, encountering death, the losing of the loved one is still fresh in my mind. Now, those who have experienced death of the loved ones or close friends understand the emotional pain and the suffering individual bear. Now, as a secular humanist point of view, that means the end, which means there is no hope beyond this life. But 
in our deepest, innermost soul, we know that death is not normal. There is something wrong with dying. Then we realize in sober reality of what that fateful day at the Garden of Eden has led to. That one act of disobedience has led to this tragic reality of humanity. We all have to face death. But our loving God did not neglect it or despised us, but have given us a solution to defeat death, the curse of it, and to reconcile us back to him only one way, through Jesus our Lord. That whoever placed their faith in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In Hebrew chapter 2, verse 14 reads this. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise share in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Are you afraid of death? Not when you are in Christ. It's just a word. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me end it with this. Whatever your understanding of death prior to today, whether it is the secular humanist worldview of death as the end, or you can put your faith in Christ and see the death as the beginning, the beginning of eternity with God. As a Christian, this is the hope of the gospel, that through Jesus Christ, we have eternity with him in heaven. This is the duty of every Christian, and I was thinking about how can we be socially responsible with time? Simple, really. By sharing the love of Christ to this dying world 
who only see the death as the end, without the hope of eternity. The real question for all of us today is the reality of the gospel, the word of our Lord. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die physically, now I add this to clarify a few things. He shall live spiritually. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die eternally. Do you believe this? City Life Church, do you believe this? Let us pray. May the God in Christ who conquered death grant us the conviction that through Jesus Christ our Lord that we are born again. Death no longer has dominion over us all because what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Help us to behold the cross where our Savior died that we may join him in death so that we may also raise in hope of eternal life. I pray for those who do not know you, that you would flood into their life. Let them hear your voice, that you love them and want to restore them now and forever. I also pray for those who do know you, that you would restore the joy of salvation, that blessed assurance of knowing Christ will restore the hope of eternity with him in heaven. In the name above all name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.